Welcome to How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships from True Story FM. Today is the day your toaster sets sail. Welcome to the show, everybody. I'm Seth Nelson. As always, I'm here with my good friend, Pete Wright. Today, are you ready for a reinvention after your divorce? Dawn Fleming is a best-selling author and midlife reinvention expert, and today she joins us to help us learn how to reframe our dreams and to turn them into reality after your divorce without anxiety, without being overwhelmed, and without any confusion. Dawn Fleming, welcome to the toaster. It's a pleasure to be here. We uh, we're talking about rebuilding after divorce. It's one of our favorite uh, one of our favorite topics is is what happens after the divorce after you're done with your attorney and you have uh, such an interesting rebuilding story and uh, frankly life. I feel like we've been talking to you for so long. I know a lot about you and I, I don't want to take that for granted. Would you introduce what you, the way you live and and your own story to our audience before we dig into peppering you with questions and how tos? Sure. So uh, the title I came up with is actually Attorney Turned Alchemist. And uh, (laughs) yeah, that's that's thing. Is that do you have to do that when you're done being an attorney? Because we got to start shopping around ideas for Seth. No, I applied for that job. There's only one position, Pete. (laughs) There's one position. Dawn has it. I have to keep working. Thank yes. you for bringing up a sore point. That is a Way sore to start point. Yeah. The new year. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, sadly, my my uh, husband just talked to his best friend, whose attorney literally died at his desk. Uh, oh. So um, yeah, that's but why he, I put his desk. Up. His desk was at a strip club. What? So let's, <laughs> you know, don't feel so badly. <laughs> oh, okay. Noted. Goodness. But uh, yeah, I, I guess I'm a I'm a, a master at rebuilding and uh, and change and transitions and uh, it's just yeah I even sometimes have to pinch myself how many different I feel like I've lived multiple lives in one lifetime. Okay, you have this like you're married. There's your high school sweetheart, and you're in your 30s, and you're like, well, we're getting a divorce, <laughs> so that's not easy, right? No, because, you know, like I said, I, we really been high school sweethearts. We did college. We did medical school. We did, we were halfway through residency and it was like, and we both, we're both poor. We both grew up poor and it was like, we don't have to struggle for money anymore. And, you know, we had just bought a house in Orange County and I got, had a great job. I thought everything was going really well. And then it just, I was literally blindsided when that happened. And Pete, we've talked to that about that before is times of transition kids graduating out of high school becoming empty nesters people finally getting their degrees right and then one spouse is like i just helped put you through school and now you're moving on like what the fuck right and so you know when parents pass away and you're married that can be a very difficult time and stressful and so that can cause some transitions on how people deal with that when god forbid if a child passes that's a Oh, huge, huge problem. So some of these things, life happens and you're like, wait a minute. So Dawn, you wake up, you're living thousands of miles away from your hometown. How did you start getting through that? Well, uh, at first I was literally suicidal. Like really, I didn't see a future. I wasn't close to my family. Uh, all I, all my friends I had left back 
in Minnesota, um, had been gone for a couple of years, didn't really put the effort into creating that support network. Because honestly, at that point in my life, I didn't see the value of it. Uh, my ex and I were kind of islands, um, which is a real dangerous thing. And, and if I had any advice to give anybody, whether you're married or not, you've got to have a support ne- network. Yeah, that's one of the things I talk about. I was actually, Pete, I don't know if I was just telling you this offline or not, but I have a close friend whose daughter got married and she called and said, Seth, your dad, my dad said that I could pick your brain about marriage advice because I'm going to a marriage, like pre-marriage counseling class because I talked to her before they got married. And she goes, and they're just saying, don't go to bed mad. She's like, that just doesn't really sound like it's going to get us through the tough times. right? <laughs> and, but, but Dawn, to your point, one of the things that I told her is I said, you have to live your separate lives and then live your collective life together. And living part of that separate lives is staying connected to people that are important to you or finding your own friends or girls night out just for lack of a better term, right? Or the guys are going to play golf or watch the game. Just kind of sexist stereotypes here. Other, Yeah, other, or other stereotypes we live. <laughs> right, right. Exactly, exactly. But that does keep you grounded. It keeps you honest. And it makes the time together more important because you're not just always together out there on the island living life and then something goes wrong and you're like, whoa, now I'm out here on a deserted island by myself. Right. Right. Pete, I'm pretty happy with my analogy this early in the year. <laughs> no, I am too. I feel like you're out of the gate hot, and I don't know what to do with that. Okay. Well, it's a new year, Pete. We're going to just have to adjust, or, you know? New yeah. year, new year. Yeah, I think great. it was the astrology. <laughs> the astrology <laughs> gave you, gave you a lot to think bonus about. episode yeah. gave me some things to think about relationships. She kind of hinted at that. So I'm, I'm trying some new things here. I'm hey. glad because I've been crying under my desk since then. You know, <laughs> my husband's an electrical engineer. And he'll tell you, we are pure energy. So don't discount the uh, astrology thing. There you go. Oh, man, I walked right into that. I didn't know Dawn was in it. We just had to show you the door. You got to walk through it. (laughs) Thank God Mercury retrograde's over, right? Yeah, right. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so I, you know, I I feel like this is a, this is a thing that I deal with a lot as, and and I'm, you know, as, as. Okay, I'm trying to wear 50 better, right? Like I'm, I, I'm 51 now, and I'm trying to like wear it nice. And part of that is coming to terms with the fact that, you know, when you when you have a, a complicated sort of family situation, it's hard to get out there and maintain external relationships, right? Yes. It's hard Absolutely. not to be an island. And I wonder if there are other people who are coming out of divorce or thinking about a divorce who are afraid of exactly that. Like when you say, go maintain external relationships. How, Don? How? Like that is the <laughs> central question is, how the hell do I do that? I don't have any time. I don't. Is it just all like I just have to be on TikTok more? Is that what you're saying? I'm sure it's well, TikTok wasn't around (laughs) when that I went through that. But um, you're going to laugh. This is actually pretty funny. So one of the things that happened is I was 30. I have a brother that's nine years younger than me. My 21 year old brother flew out from Minnesota to spend time with me. And he was giving me lessons on how to date. And giving me advice about, you know, if they don't open the door for you, they should bring you flowers. I mean, he's going through this, this whole things. 
So basically, he was watching Disney movies to give yes. dating advice. So. Yes. You know, at that point, it sounded pretty good to me because, you know, that sort of thing wasn't happening. Right. His, his, his best friend are mice and a pumpkin. <laughs> <laughs> My brother's amazing. Like, it's, it's, and he's been okay. married. And so, you know, they got married young and they have a fantastic relationship. So I'm not going to, not going to say anything about my Pete, brother. I will bet you that he has a car. That you just press a button and the door slides open for us. Oh, do you think that's it? You think that's it? That's high, I think that's what high odds. Non-zero. Actually, he's a school teacher and he has a big old nasty piss, uh, pickup truck that needs to be replaced. Um, so <laughs> he's the cool so, school so, teacher. That's so, cool. So he presses the button and a ladder comes down. Got it. Okay. Yeah, that's more like it. That's more like it. But the other thing I did literally, I'm, now this is how nerdy I am. I went and got a book and I believe it was literally called How to Be Single. Takes practice. <laughs> and you know what? There was some really, it basically said, go to a movie by yourself. Go to dinner by yourself. Bring a book if you need to. But enjoy, learn to enjoy your own company. Let me tell you, going out to dinner, like one way to reinvent yourself is to get the confidence to go out to dinner yeah. by yourself. Yeah. And I will also tell you, in fact, my wife and I were just talking about this last night, that we really make an effort to invite our single friends, especially if they've been divorced, to go out with us. Because you might go out with a couple, but you don't invite the single friend. So we make a special effort to reach out to those people they are always very appreciative. And what I do is, because let's say it's a, a woman who's friendly with my wife, maybe they'll go out for dinner and then I'll meet them up later for drinks, right? It doesn't have to be always one or the other. You know, you can kind of mix it up. But that is a really good way to do that. And from the person who is newly single, don't wait for the call, right? Reach out and say, I would really love to go out to dinner with you and your husband or you and your partner. And people are going to say yes, but you got to make the effort. It's hard, yes. but, but it's worth doing. Generally, people like to eat. That The, the stakes are, are pretty low in that invitation. Right, right. In the, you know, it could be lunch, could be breakfast, could be yeah. coffee, whatever. It doesn't even necessarily need to be that. The other thing that I did was um, getting get involved with uh, or things that I enjoy doing. Like I uh, got involved with a tennis group. And initially it was just a ladies singles group that met Friday mornings. And through that group, I got invited to sub in a um, mixed doubles Tuesday night group. And then somebody left and I became a part of that group. And so that was my Tuesday night thing. I played tennis for two hours. This is this is for both of you. Because I, I'm as, as the one here who's not divorced, hasn't been divorced. How do you re how do you remind yourself after a divorce uh, of the things that you say used to do but haven't done what well, is there i mean is there a process did you find like you say you get involved in tennis were you were you playing tennis before you got married were you playing tennis during your marriage uh, you know what is it that you do to kind of refresh some of those those old habits and behaviors yeah in fact we did and also golf my i played with my ex and and i had played actually since i was a little kid i wasn't very good at it because we only get 3 months of summer in minnesota so every year it was like starting over again you know it's <laughs> hard of, to find the golf ball in the snow pete so pete, many you can amateur hit golfers in minnesota let me just tell pete, you that you can uh, hit yeah. that golf ball right down the fairway in the middle of winter you're not finding it yeah. nope, it's a white spring. ball and white snow yeah right okay pete 
New Year. Yeah. Buckle up. I'm going to answer your question directly. You're not going to believe me. Do you want me to just leave the show? No, man. I love you, man. You make the show. You make it happen. All right. I made a list, which is quasi-journaling. True. Yeah. You're right. It's journal. It's journal adjacent. It's journal nice adjacent. Job. Uh, I like that. What is on? What do you have the list? Can we recite from the list? Do you remember what you were thinking about at the time? Oh, I remember the list. Yeah. Okay. So just to refresh everyone's recollection, it was my fault we got divorced. I will never, ever blame my former spouse. I lost myself in the relationship. I did not take care of myself the way I should have. So when we split up, I made a list of things that I did not do when I was married that was very important to me before I was married. A big one was exercise. Okay. So I started training for a triathlon. So I would run, I would swim, I would bike. I really like playing cards, um, especially poker. And part of the reason I've always liked cards, my parents grew up playing bridge, so I'd watch them play bridge. As a kid, I'd play hearts and spades and all these other card games and suit games. So I would play poker. Now, the thing about playing poker for me, it also helped me emotionally because when you're doing math, it turns off the emotional side of your brain. And so playing cards really helped me not wallow in my divorce. Like, what am I going to do? Right. And I happen to really enjoy it. So you... You got fit and you started playing cards. You you know what you are? You're the Paul Rudd of divorce attorneys, <laughs> right? He went from like soft sitcom star to jacked Marvel star. And that's what yeah. you did. Yeah. Well, if you look at the photos, <laughs> <laughs> don't think there was that much of a transition. Uh, all right. Um, but the other thing that I did is I made a list of people that I wanted to reach out to that I hadn't seen in a while. And I was delightfully surprised how much they were like, yeah, let's get together or reached out and all that stuff. Those relationships, like they, it's not like they just die. Correct. Right. There is, there's something, there was something there. And, and I think that that goes with the shame of being out of touch for so long is the anxiety that comes with attempting to rekindle a relationship that you feel like might have withered on the vine because you didn't do your part or you didn't reach out. A lot of that is just the story that we're telling ourselves and that once you reach out, you get that it pays it pays for itself. It pays off in spades because you get to rekindle something really special. Yep, you got it. Okay, so Don. Uh, uh, back to you rebuilding yourself and playing tennis. What? Let's continue with that that process for you, right? You getting involved with things and not being an island is is kind of where we were. Mm-hmm. And then, in a moment of insanity, I went to law school. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> and the reason for the insanity—I don't know if I mentioned this—my um, first husband was a psychiatrist. Oh, okay. Yeah, the pieces are coming together. Okay, I just got to say it. I just, I, I just like my head is down, Pete. <laughs> thinks that I'm not listening. Um, I do not advise getting divorced and going to law school. Neither this do I. This is not I. legal advice. Thank you, counselors. This is not legal advice. Check your local jurisdiction. But okay, let's hear it. 
So I, you know, I, I went to one of those career counseling things. I would have been in real estate. I, I had a successful career in real estate, but I had this idea that, oh, I needed a real job because working straight commission when you have a partner with a six figure income is one thing when you're trying to be self-supporting. I didn't know that I really wanted to continue. And I was kind of burned out on it. I'm like, you know, I like making deals, but I think I'm over the roller coaster ride that is, you know, the real estate industry. And so I started interviewing attorneys and, or like I, I did a, a skills assessment and then they said, oh, go talk to some attorneys um, if you want to go to law school. And I talked to this one attorney, she was second career. And uh, she said, you'll get a kick out of this. She said, you know, um, I uh, really like being an attorney because, you know, and this is, you know, back in the early nineties still, she said, I go to a cocktail party and I'll be talking to some, this is, you know, Orange County. And the guy says, uh, he talks about himself and, and what he does and everything. And, and then he's like, well, so what do you do? And she says, I'm an attorney. And they go, oh, you know, and, and I said, I want that. I want that respect, you know? Using it as, as yeah, relationship respect. Okay. Is, yeah. Okay. I got so many issues here, Pete. I don't know. <laughs> I said, I'm doing that. I'm doing that. <laughs> Do not go to law school to pick up men. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, she was married. No, no, it wasn't to pick up. It was, it was. Wait, uh, she was picking up men while she was married? Dawn. No, 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 no. <laughs> she was, no, she lovely British lady. She was married. They, in fact, they owned a mortgage company very successful. She ended up doing immigration law, but it was the respect. And, you know, uh, especially as a woman, I mean, you guys don't know this, but I mean, you know, when I was... Oh, I know it. My mom graduated law school in the 70s. Yeah. And my grandmother graduated in 1925 from law school. Unheard of. Job they Unheard were of. So I hear you, but I get it. So, okay. So part of rebuilding yourself was to find your own self-esteem. And part of doing that was like, I'm going to go to law school Yes. I want to get this education. I don't want to be in a job where the income is up and down, up and down, up and down. Then you find yourself in law school. Well, I found friends. I found smart friends is what I've learned about myself and some of my mentors and says, Don, you don't suffer fools. You need to be around smart people. I guess that's why I don't live in the U.S. anymore. Um, but anyway. <laughs> Ouch. No offense. Yeah. No offense. Whole nother topic. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> We won't go there. <laughs> this is not a political show, nope. Dawn. But but I will tell you, um, here in Mexico, both of the major parties have a female candidate running for president. They will have a female president next year or this year. Wow. Okay, moving uh, along. All right, all right. You show off. <laughs> anyway, so um, so that was, and the other part of it was actually my um. Freedom to be able to do, I wasn't working. I, I didn't work my first year in law school. I didn't really know if I was smart. I mean, I, I did okay on the outset, but I was a straight C student with a degree in anthropology. Okay. I mean, I went, nobody had gone to college in my family, like nobody, no extended aunts, uncles, nothing. And so I, you know, balls to the walls. I put my head down. I did nothing but study. I worked hard. And when they posted the list, I was number five in the class out of 300 people. And that, I said, wow. That does something for your esteem. I'm coming smart because my, my ex was brilliant, I have to say. Yeah. Um, and he, you know, off the charts um, uh, scores for the MCAT and all of that, um, summa cum laude. But 
I didn't really push my ever push myself because I didn't have a reason. And I had a reason at that point. And so yeah, it was cool, make the dean's list, whatever. But it really did give me that boost at a time in my life where I was pretty down. Part of what I talk to people about when they're like, okay, what what comes next? Right. Cause I talk to them about, oh, we can get a final judgment, you're divorced. But what comes next is really learning new skills to rebuild yourself. It does not have to be to the extent of go to law school and be in the top five right. people of your class. Okay. I but feel it is, like it is fascinating to think about like what you could do, right? This is the this is the thing that I think the door is open to a let's just say a more complete, like comprehensive renovation of of personal identity. Like you can you can take the opportunity to do that if you if you want to. A hundred percent, Pete. And also you can do stuff that you've never done before, like handle your own finances. And that will give you a sense of confidence when you see the money in, you see the money out, you're getting a job, you're getting employment, you're becoming financially self-sufficient. That is one of the biggest things that you can do to bring confidence to yourself when you know to whatever extent and give yourself some time. Like you don't make Dean's List and get into law school overnight, right? You got to study for the LSAT. You got accepted. You got to fall into the academic year. You got to take the course for a year. You got to take the one exam you get for that class that's your grade for the year, right? Like it, it takes time and there's a lot of studying or building along the way. But my point, I guess, Pete, is that there's a lot of different ways to get confidence in the, it is wide open, right? The other thing that I did, I mentioned the the church recovery thing. I, like I said, we, my ex and I were kind of anti-church. His father was a preacher. I, I won't go into all the uh, gory details there, but um, we had both kind of said, mm, yeah, not our jam. And so when we split up, I really felt like this spiritual void in my life that I wanted to fill. And I didn't really think it was the church that I came from. So I went on this beautiful spiritual journey, no better place to do it than Southern California. I mean, there's all kinds of, of resources there and perspectives and, and courses and all of that. And it really had a p- profound effect on me because I really felt like I was more than just some someone slogging through life trying to get by. You know what I mean? It really, it was something that added some depth to my my soul, my character, my outlook. And having that, I don't think I would have ever done that if we just stayed together. It, in such a deep way, for sure. That's the the sort of dawn first major transition post divorce, right? That that sort of reinvention. There is another one that happens in reinventing yourself in and for a new relationship, and that's the next part I want to talk about because I think that leads us to this this lifestyle that you've cultivated for yourself with your new husband. What is that like? What happened in 2010? <laughs> <laughs> so I liked being married. I was okay being by myself. I was an only child till I was nine. So it wasn't that hard to adapt, but I really kind of missed that close relationship. And yet I had my heart broken. So I really didn't think I I would, but I I just wanted a relationship. And so match.com came along, right? And I started on that whole merry-go-round and uh, being a smart woman um, and especially an attorney. Yeah, there were some challenges there, egos and whatnot. But I, I like to say I, I kissed frogs for 10 years and then found my prince. 
Right back to Disney. She was talking to her brother. Right back to Disney. Maybe, maybe the call's coming from inside the house. Maybe Dawn was the was magnetic for Disney stuff all along. Exactly. Her, you know, her brother's like he better open the carriage door for you. <laughs> well, he showed up. Um, a diamond in the rough. He was um, driving an old, beat down Porsche nine fourteen, living on an old sailboat, and he was twice divorced, lost his business in bankruptcy. He was definitely, he'll, he'll tell you, he was 50, I was 40. He talks about being a walking cadaver. He really didn't have any dreams. We started out as friends. I told him dating stories from hell that you would never, <laughs> ever tell someone who was you were on a date with. That's how our relationship started. And it just, he took me sailing our first two dates to make sure I didn't get seasick because otherwise he would have kicked me to the curb, game over. It was better than like throwing you overboard. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Talk and, about game over. Yeah. Dark, Seth. Really dark. <laughs> but, but, you know, I think one of the reasons that our relationship worked, and I think I actually proposed to him, we'd been together for three years before we got married, but we were both complete human beings. We didn't need each other. I didn't, at that point in my life, I didn't need anybody. I wanted a relationship, but I didn't need anybody. And he was, he was fine too. I mean, uh, he, you know, was, was racing, uh, yacht racing four nights a week, looked like Popeye with the bulging arms. I mean, in great shape. And he was living his life too. And we just came together. Was he, was he divorced? Did you say that? Twice. He, been divorced? he was divorced <laughs> twice. I totally missed that part. Holy oh, yeah. Cow. You should have seen. We got married in the British Virgin Islands. You should have seen the attorney general who was this great big African-American lady look at us because we had to present our divorce decrees. And so we had three of them between us. <laughs> and she's looking at the marriage application with kind of like over the glasses, like, are you sure? <laughs> yeah, that's behind the scenes, Pete. They're doing the over under on how many years. Yeah, that's what was happening. That's what's there. happening. I get sure. that. She, she brought her glasses down and she's like, five years is the over under on this. She, and she's saying like, yeah. how seasick do you get? Man? Yeah, right. Right, right. The, uh, so, but but this is the thing that I think is so interesting about that, like just the experience of tuning yourself for for the new relationship, and after doing all the reinvention that you'd been doing for yourself, same thing with him too, right? This idea that you guys together have found yourself in a new direction that you're traveling together, right, parallel at the same time, and that that has led you to this uh, really fascinating kind of collection of lives that you live uh, between you and, and Tom. So, uh, you know, do you want to talk about kind of what you've created and, and the, the program that you run and tell us a little bit about how that how that has emerged from this new relationship? Sure. And, and I guess really, I mean, it is truly the culmination of decades of experience and going through all these different transitions. And, you know, Here's the thing. The good news is the more you do it, the better you get at it. It's almost a skill set, right? That the first time you go through it, like it's ugly, it's it's not good, it's uncomfortable. And then each time it seems like it gets a little bit better. And that, you know, I remember at one point going, Really? Again? Are we going through this again? You know, asking the universe, like, do we really have to go through this again? But, you know, at this stage of the game, I think your acceptance gets a lot better. You, you don't get so freaked out. I think age helps. Um, 
welcome to 50 and beyond. I mean, it's so freeing in so many ways. You you just don't give a shit anymore about some of the stuff that you, you cared about when you were younger. But um, I, I really took some time to think about what I wanted to do. I, initially, the, the way the whole uh, book came about, the business came about, is people just kept asking. You know, uh, my, uh, my husband never met a stranger. We'd go down to the beach. He'd strike up a conversation, kind of marketing our hotel. And ask these people, you know, where they've been, where they're from, how long, if they've been here before, blah, blah, blah. Of course, what do they do? Well, where are you from? Well, we live here. What? What? You live here? How do you do that? Oh, oh. And, and, and here right it. now is, is Merida. Is that where you are at um, the point? Well, that, this was in East Lomajadas, but in Mexico, um, on the, on the island where our, our hotel is. And after about a hundred of these conversations, it seemed pretty clear that people had some interest in hearing, you know, how this came about. And so, that was how the podcast started. I was like, well, I, I don't know. Not everybody jumps on a, a 50 foot sailboat and sails 5,000 miles through the Panama Canal to, you know, rebuild your life. So how did these other people do it? Cause I kept meeting such interesting expats, um, and wanted to hear their stories. And that's what I did really for the first year and a half of my podcast. It was just my old, uh, anthropology degree came in handy. I was doing oral histories, um, from, you know, these people and, and, out, you know, since I'm very curious, it was easy to ask questions, and then it just sort of evolved. In in along those lines, Pete, as you know, I lived on Grand Cayman for three years. I was 23 to 26 years old. Right. So did Tom Cruise in the firm. I'm not making any allusions to what you did there. <laughs> yeah, I, I understand. He just visited. Okay, he didn't live there. Okay, <laughs> that's that's right, Seth. That's right. You said the quiet part out loud again, Counselor. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, um, it does take a certain type of personality to move to a small Caribbean island, and when you put all those personalities on a small Caribbean island, there is no doubt that the sum is greater than the parts. But even though I was very young, twenty three to twenty six, like I said. You know, there were friends of mine that were in their 50s at the time, in their 60s, and some of them were were professionals because of the offshore banking there. And some of them were just vagabonds, literally traveling the world, trying to find themselves. And they're like, it's just the journey. I'm good. But there was a lot of lessons that I learned there that I still carry on to to this day is that the world can change pretty quick. You get a hurricane that comes through when you're on a small island, there's big problems pretty quick. But with that, I think the biggest thing that I learned is you can overcome a lot. And it's really just taking it one step at a time, figuring out what you want to do. And if you're not sure, get up, try something new. Go find what you used to do before you were divorced that you didn't have time to do. And before you know it, like Dawn said, you're going to be on the mixed doubles team every Tuesday night. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, uh, so Don, the the podcast is uh, Life in Paradise on a Shoestring. Yes. And uh, still going. Yes. And the book, Claim Your Dream Life. You, as before we press record, you told me you're about to spin up your program again. And I just want to give you a chance to thoroughly plug all of those things because it's a, it's it, as a, as a midlife reinvention expert, right? I, I think it's really important for people listening to the show to hear the, the kinds of stuff that you're doing and what people can avail themselves to. Well, thank you for that. So the name of the program is Midlife in Paradise in 90 Days or Less. And the, the stage is, really mirror the book. So if, if they get the book, if they, you know, they're curious, want to see it, but it's really the, the three phases are clarity and vision, 
focus and planning and action and abundance. And the most important one is that clarity and vision. And that's where I really encourage people to dream again. That's where actually Tom got, got really mad. Uh, there's a story in the book, but I sent him to this training, network marketing training. And the gentleman that taught it started with, what are your dreams? And at 50 years old, he had none. I mean, just totally beaten down. And a lot of people get that way, especially after divorce. I, you know, talked about that earlier and really, um, trying to, and, and it's funny. Um, I have it here. I actually own a magic wand. And so <laughs> I lend it to people from time to time and say, you know, take my magic wand and, and just take the governor off, right? You just won $50 million in the lottery. You can do anything yeah, you, you want to. What are you going to do with it? You know, I played like that uh, in the network marketing space, but I think in this midlife phase, it's, it's critical to really do that exercise and say, you know, I believe in a world where on your deathbed, you'd never look back and think, what if? Yeah. And that's what it's all about. I had the privilege of celebrating um, someone who's very close to me with their 80th birthday. And they said at 80, you know, you hit 50 and 60, you're like, okay. But at 80, you kind of look back at your life. And, you know, he said the best thing about his life is he was lucky. <laughs> like he was lucky with his family. He was lucky in where he was in life at a certain time and how that impacted um, his the business they decided to go in and his career. And I told him that I thought if someone ever asked me how to describe him is he was just he was that steady rudder. Like he just kept going no matter what was happening in, and I've known him a long time now, it, it ups or downs. He's just steady as can go. And you know what you're going to get every day that he shows up. And I think getting that for yourself to know that you're going to be steady for yourself and there'll be some ups and downs, but if you can just keep going and sail through that squall or that storm, you're going to be okay. Yeah. Well, I would challenge the lucky part because I think we make our own luck. Um, the harder you work, the luckier you get is is kind of the thing. And it, and I don't mean hard work like physical work, right? But I mean, it, whether it's the self-respect, uh, reflection work or the relationship work or, you know, or the putting network. in the time at the law library and yeah. trying to, the time to, at to the be the top library. five in your it's class. It's amazing <laughs> how lucky you can get when, when that happens. And Pete, Pete, just so you know, in the firm, when he's getting the job interview, they say you're in the top 5% of his class. He corrects them and says, no, top five. Top five. Just like right. Dawn. Just like Dawn. Right. They had to cut the just like Dawn part yeah. in the movie. Yeah. That's what he was saying. That's what he was saying. I get it. Yeah. I hear well, it now. That was just I the first semester. Before. That wasn't where I yeah. ended up. But. <laughs> but she doesn't want to say she ended up at three. Okay. <laughs> this, this goes back to, we've been we've been talking on in, in some other circles about this book, 4,000 Weeks by Oliver Berkman, uh, which is an incredible book. And the whole premise is, you know, we all get about the same 4,000 weeks in our lives. You like, And I realized doing the math, I've got about 1,351 weeks left. How am I going to live those weeks? Right. Like, what is that? The weeks when you start talking about weeks as your unit of life measurement, they don't seem very high, those numbers. And and it really does make you focus and makes you wonder. So anyhow, Don, this is this is a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for showing up, uh, for uh, hanging out with us, for talking about introducing your your work. Where do you want to send people to learn more ab about you? What's the best uh, best URL? Uh, I would say uh, if you're interested in the book, claim your dream life book. 
com is uh, where you can go to that. I actually have a free plus shipping offer. So you can get a, a free copy of the book, just uh, pay for shipping. And then uh, the podcast, um, Life in Paradise podcast.com. Uh, there's uh, information there. Uh, of course, wherever you, you get your podcast so is another place to find me. Um, DawnFleming.com has information about me. Uh, I'm be looking at doing some more speaking out in the world this uh, this year in order to reach more people and get my message out there. Well, thank you for doing just that right here, Don. We appreciate you. Uh, we are now going to turn our attention to a listener question. Seth, are you ready for this? I'm ready. First one of the year. Here we go. Seth, this question comes from RL, and the question is thus. I loved today's interview with Justine Weber. This was on December 12th. This isn't really a question about that, but for Seth, to what extent do you see your clients with emotional dysregulation, and how does dealing with any sort of emotional disorder as a client impact your work as an attorney on this, on their case? Man, that's a great question to start the year off with. I know, right? Because it really goes to the difference between being attorney and counselor at law. So part of what I need to do as an attorney is to figure out how to communicate with my client. And I cannot just use my preferred communication style. I have to meet them where they are and find the right way to get them to see the issue in a different way. So if it is an emotional issue about a certain item in the house that they're arguing about, or who's going to keep the house, or it it might not just be for the kids. It might be just because I love living in this neighborhood, right? You have to find a way to communicate to get people to look at their problems and potential solutions in different ways. And when you have clients who have some difficulties in going through very difficult times and or have emotional difficulties, um, it can be very challenging. And that's one of the reasons why family law is a difficult practice area. There is an attorney in town who does nothing but traffic violations. And if you get a speeding ticket, this is the guy you call. Now, he has an extremely busy practice, and I'm not saying he doesn't have stresses in life, but I've got three people that I've referred to him that he handled their ticket, and we sent him the money, and he never talked to the client at all, and he got the case dismissed. Wow. On looking at what the police officer wrote on the ticket, comparing it to the law, and saying, this isn't going to fly. Okay? Okay. It was the same motion he filed in all three cases. Just like change the name. Yeah. Yeah. And in some other things. Now he's doing solid, good legal work because he's looking at that ticket. He's applying it to the law. He's saying this isn't, you didn't get your due process. And there's a Florida Supreme Court case that he uses. He does great work. I don't think that he has the stresses of running a practice or dealing with clients that I do. Okay. He's more attorney, less counselor. I would say so. Now, I don't know about his other ones. God forbid if it was a DUI or something really bad. He's probably getting those get... clients too. Yeah. 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 So I'm not disparaging him in any way, but there's just different areas of practice in different 
skill sets to do that. So one, I try to find out if my client has mental illness. I have read books about mental illness. I've read books about communication skills in styles. So that's just the work that I've done because I want to do better at what I do and I'm always trying to improve. One thing I've learned is I never ask anyone, does that make sense? Because if it says, does that make sense? I am discounting my own ability to communicate an idea. So what I say instead is, do you have any questions? Okay, that's better. So there's little things like that. And if I don't think they understand, I will say, please repeat back to me what you think I, what you think I told you. And I make them explain the law to me that I just explained to them because then I know we're communicating. And if they can't do it, I do it again in a different way. So it is very difficult. I appreciate the question. And then just sometimes it just takes time. Sometimes they're just not ready to settle yet because they just called me and they, they're in that like throes of it and we don't even have the information. Yeah, this is the thing we've talked about, like rejection sensitivity. There are people who truck in rejection sensitivity, and that can mean they're not ready to talk about anything. And yet here they are thrust into a divorce process. Right. A hundred percent. All right. RL, thank you. Uh, yeah, great, great, great New Year question. Thank you so much for writing in. And if you uh, out there, listener, dear listener, want to get your question answered by Seth Nelson, you should send it in because uh, just visiting com and clicking submit a question, we'll get that question on the air. I can just about promise that. Uh, uh, and they are starting to stack up after our, our listener questions extravaganza. Uh, I've I've heard it turn uh, talked uh, referred to as a divorce montage, an audio vo- divorce montage. I'm not making that up, uh, and uh, I'm really excited about it. It was a great episode, and we answered a lot of questions. And we'd like to get more of your questions on every episode of this show. So again, how to split a toaster dot com, submit a question there. I really appreciate the questions because we had a whole show of them because we couldn't fit them all in. We take a short break with a bonus episode, and we already have more questions and. If you have the question, somebody out there listening does too. So you're really doing a service to them. Thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. We sure appreciate your time and your attention. Uh, On behalf of our guest today, Don Fleming and Seth Nelson, America's favorite divorce attorney, I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you back here next week on How to Split a Toaster, a divorce podcast about saving your relationships. How to Split a Toaster is part of the True Story FM podcast network, produced by Andy Nelson, music by T-Bless and the Professionals, and DB Studios. Seth Nelson is an attorney with NLG Divorce and Family Law with offices in Tampa, Florida. While we may be discussing family law topics, How to Split a Toaster is not intended to, nor is it providing legal advice. Every situation is different. If you have specific questions regarding your situation, please seek your own legal counsel with an attorney licensed to practice law in your jurisdiction. Pete Wright is not an attorney or employee of NLG Divorce and Family Law. Seth Nelson is licensed to practice law in Florida.